0: I thank all of you for this presence and um, you are not as excited as I am for being able to attend this function. I don't know whether to what to say about the time I arrived except to inform you that I was working with the promptings of the organizers. I imagine that the present condition of the strike action created a lot of confusion on their program and they had to adapt radically. And since none of us was sure of exactly what would happen from the beginning of the ceremonials till the real research work, some laxity was allowed with regard to timing. So I'm happy that at least and at last we are here and we are able to share our views in a very open manner. I am happy not only that Bishop Abou is here, I've been looking for him indirectly, not knowing that he was tucked away in far away Addis Ababa, from, which he, from where he returned only a few days ago, and rather than give himself time to rest and attend to other pastoral duties, he is here with us. I thank him for his brotherly presence and ecumenical disposition. Professor B. Ogui-Jofo is a friend and one of my foremost intellectual critics. He knows that there are one or two papers of mine I never published, because after reading them, he said, oh boy, I don't know what you are saying here. (laughs) And that was the last I saw of those papers, because I respect his intellectual opinion very much. And uh, Professor Damian Opata, his field is English but his interest is wide ranging. Especially, he's doing a very difficult job of giving some intellectual codification to the traditional religion of our ancestors. I say it is difficult because the only instrument he can use for that codification is Western education and Christian formation. So he, no matter how much he tries, he cannot be objective. I'm Professor... (laughs) (laughs) Professor Hilary, actually. A man whose stature is as imposing as his intellectual abilities. And I'm happy because his historical approach to our problems, especially religious issues, is one of my predilections, because I often believe we don't understand our problems because we try to start solving them from now, rather than from where the problem began. Without a sense of history, we will never have a clear perception of our problems, and we will never never have a clear vision of what the solution may be. Sister Jerome, this quiet disposition will not inform you that Sister Jerome faced one of the most difficult and rigorous areas of study in Christian literature and studies, biblical exegesis. One of the most prestigious, if not the most prestigious, institutes for that in the whole world, <laughs> the Biblical Institute in Rome. And of course, he was the first African woman ever to obtain a PhD from that institute. So, Father Emeka, our o will be discussed in the private. <laughs> I thank all of you for all this. When a professor acquires the title of Emeritus, it means he now has more time, Prof. Damien, more time to reflect, research, and write. But when that Professor Emeritus is saddled with the problem of the office of a bishop, then he may have some time to think, yes but more things to worry about, less time to write or to research. And I often repeat the story told of St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the greatest brains in Christian history, maybe after St. Augustine, who refused every attempt to be made a bishop. He declined all the invitation because his said to have claimed that bishops don't have the time to think. (laughs) We think, Bishop Abu. (laughs) I say this because much as I was enthused by this theme and the invitation to participate, all I offer you is not really a result of research, but a result of reflection thinking my personal thinking even though with all the years I've spent in the academia I can no longer think without borrowing from the thinkings of others and since I come as a bishop well I thought of the theme Father Emeka explained rightly globalization religion politics and ecological crisis in the 21st century, and I wondered, why would anybody put these complicated and difficult themes together in one conference? (laughs) Any one of them is enough to occupy scholars for weeks. And I was thinking of what would link them. Father America, maybe I missed this your letter of explanation because it would have helped my own uh, structuring of this, my reflection. Because any of the pair would still be great after having taken them singly. Globalization and religion. Religion and politics. Religion and ecological crisis, globalization and ecological crisis, globalization and politics, those things all form interesting pairs for study. Because of my own point of view, and don't forget that every point of view is only a view from a point. Because of my own point of view, I've decided to privilege the link between religion and the ecological crisis because that will pass through also globalization and politics. Luckily, my assignment is to encourage the house to reflect openly and honestly and not necessarily to provide solutions because the keynote speaker raises more questions than answers. And again also I have the privilege of a training in philosophy that has more questions to ask than answers to prefer. You will not therefore be surprised if I begin as a bishop by reading to you some passages from sacred scripture. The first is from the book of Genesis. Chapter 1, verses 26 to 30. Then God said, let us make mankind, and for the purposes of this conversation, I'm using the new international version of the Bible, because we know that no two English translations of the Bible are exactly the same. It's important to underline that for the students and and teachers in the department of religion. Very often, we are quarreling about words that are wrong translations of the original. Here, for instance, because of the sensitivity in language now, This translation is nearer to the original by using mankind instead of just man. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, and over everything, every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts on on the earth, and all the birds in the sky, And all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was. God saw all that He made, and it was very good. The next passage is still from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, from verses 17 to 19 to Adam he said that is God said because to Adam God said Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. The third passage is from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans, chapter 8, from verses 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For it is this hope, in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who (laughs) hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, We are waiting for it patiently. I present to you these biblical passages taken from the Judeo-Christian religious tradition. The Hebrew Bible, or the Hebrew scripture, the Old Testament, which we call the Old Testament, and the Christian Bible comprising both the Old Testament the Gospels and the Letters, and of course the Book of Revelation. This religious tradition, the Judeo-Christian tradition, has been accused by some authors in modern times as being responsible for all the ecological disaster we have now. One American professor of medieval history, Lee White, Jr., in an essay he published in 1967, five pages in the journal Science, he proposed a theory that all the evils of the ecology, the title of the article is Historical Roots, of our ecological crisis. He said, the culprit are religions, especially, he said, Western Christianity. And what crime does he accuse Western Christianity of committing? If we think of the religious traditions of some other cultures, I will take two. One is our own Igbo traditional religion. In the Igbo traditional religion, there seems to be a certain type of relationship of harmony between the human being and the rest of nature. And because the natural universe was often perceived as revealing the majesty of the sacred of God, it was not normal for the traditional religionists to violate the natural order because they believed that would have moral and religious consequences. And any time it was done, effort was made to appease the divinities. And in that structure, farming, hunting, we are all limited to satisfying the immediate basic needs of the human being. But even, that is one thing interesting, even in that structure, I guess Professor Opata will have time to educate us more on that. Even without that, within that structure, the human being was still seen to have some advantage over the rest of creation to the point that he could make use of them for his own sustenance. In some pacific religious traditions, I use the example of the island of Samoa, the western pacific. The human being is not said to be at the apex of other created things mediating between God and the rest of the created universe. The human being is seen to be part and parcel of the created order. And being part and parcel of that created order, any time he would need to disturb the order, he would have to first seek permission. Among the traditional Samoans, before you cut a tree, You offer apologies to the tree. Prayers of reparation. Excuses for why you absolutely needed this tree for some other purpose other than it's standing there. And they were fishermen also. Hunting and fishing. When they would be fishing, they would even be singing to the fish and inviting them as queens and kings to participate in a type of companion of the human beings. And if anybody killed any animal, sometimes in some of those cultures they would, with some words, ask for pardon, touch the animal, caress it, and offer excuses for having destroyed another life. Now, Lynn says that in this type of religious cosmology and anthropology, there was no space for the human being to arrogate to himself the right to maltreat the rest of creation because he was superior. Until Genesis, first of all, committed two fundamental errors of cosmology according to him, eh? the first was that rather than see the divine as part and parcel of the universe, I open a parenthesis. In ancient Egyptian thought, you don't have the story of creation. What you have is a story of the emergence of various realities from the primordial dynamic reality. And this emergence was possible because that primordial dynamic reality, called by them the noon, and we call them disordered waters, had within itself the principle of self evolution. That's why it's dynamic. And that principle of self-evolution eventually emerged as the principle of order in the universe. Turn to the philosopher for further explanation. (laughs) But within that principle, within that system, within that cosmology or cosmogony, things emerged as pairs. And the emphasis was on equilibrium. And we did not dare to disturb the, distort the equilibrium. And what would you do? How would you maintain the equilibrium? That doctrine thinks and teaches that in every human being, that original principle of order there are, exists in the human being as Ka. And makes it possible for the human being to understand the order in the universe and the balance between the Opposites. No commandments, moral law. The only moral law is to use the principle of intellection and understanding within you to understand the law of the universe and respect it. Any violation of that order attracted serious consequences. Now I close the parenthesis. In that type of cosmology, The creative principle is not different from the rest of the universe. So it is absolute immanence. There is no space for a transcendent being who, staying out of the rest of reality, creates and orders reality. And here, Lean says, by removing divinity from the rest of reality making the creator a transcendent, independent being, the first division was created between first, between God and the created order. Worse second original sin, according to Lane, of this cosmology, is the anthropology. What is the problem in the anthropology? The problem is that, he claims, because... This tradition teaches, that's why I presented the first book of Genesis, the first passage, that the human being was made in the image and likeness of God, and therefore given authority over every living thing and even non-living things. That was the first carte blanche that a human being received for the pillage of nature. And he then concludes by saying, five pages of article, he concludes by saying that for us to arrest and possibly reverse the damage being done to the environment, these cosmologies and anthropologies must be transformed. That thesis is very attractive very very attractive to the point that it has it was written in 1967 and it has been quoted over 8000 times by other scholars and 50 years afterwards in 2017 a group of scholars published a book in routledge by routledge that the entire they uh, uh, used the uh, religion and ecological crisis the lean white thesis at 50 so even after 50 years it was still being studied as a possible hypothesis or thesis of course you as yes. scholars would know the difference between hypothesis and thesis and even the hypothesis and theory even though very often modern scientists present hypothesis hypothesis as if it was a theory. Example, the so-called theory of evolution. My own position is, yes, the understanding of the human being as special has influence on the relationship between the human being and the rest of the created universe. And even the understanding of the universe as created has its consequences on its perception. But I don't think it is right to blame that understanding for the ecological crisis. Reason. My reason, Professor Atuniki, my reason is history. The defense I offer is history. Why I offer that defense as history is this theory or this doctrine, this teaching, that a human being was created in the image and likeness of God and to him was given the power to control and dominate the rest of the universe, had been part of Jewish scripture, Hebrew scripture, for hundreds of years, if not thousands, Sister Jerome informs us, before Christianity. So how come that teaching did not produce a revolutionary attitude towards nature that we have now. Secondly, many other people outside Europe and America are reading the same doctrine and are being formed by the same doctrine. How come that the reading of the story of Genesis does not produce the same effect in African and Asian Christians that it produced in European and American Christians. My position, therefore, is that the problem is not with the doctrine. Again, the greatest champion of what we read in the Bible Is the word made flesh. Jesus of Nazareth. Look at his lifestyle. And tell me how destructive of the universe it was. A man even when he was hungry. Refused to turn stone into bread. Because that would be unnatural. (laughs) Who praised the flowers and the birds. And the psalms even. Praised the right of the birds to exist. Alongside the human beings. Sister Jerome's PhD thesis is on Psalm 84 or 85, reflecting on that reality. And who are the models celebrated in Christianity? Outside Jesus himself, the apostles, people like St. Francis of Assisi, Blessed Michael, Bishop Michael, Aloysius Agbu, What material possession do these people have or did they have that could have been a problem for the environment? If Christianity was really the source of the problem, then models of Christianity would have been the greatest offenders in this regard. So what then is the problem, in my opinion, it is precisely the abandonment of the Christian understanding of creation that caused the problem. Because a proper interpretation of the book of Genesis would tell you, or would teach you, that when God gave the human being the power over created universe, he gave it on the understanding that the human being being created in his own image and likeness would take the same care of the universe as he takes in its creation. And so long as the human being had that relationship with nature that respected the beauty of nature and even limited his use of nature to what he needed, That would be natural because it is permitted in the entire created order that certain things have to depend on others for their survival. For instance, in the sea, every smaller fish ends in the belly of another. Is that ecological disturbance? It is not the fact that the human being takes from nature. That is not the source of the problem. I will tell you where the problem began. In 18, in 1784, but even before that, the 17th century, in 16 something, students and scholars and teachers of philosophy here will remember the story of René Descartes, the French philosopher. The anthropological term where attention was shifted from God and, the, and reality outside the human being to the human being himself as the point of departure for every inquiry. Now, this reached a step higher in the 18th century in the movement called the Enlightenment. And Immanuel Kant, that famous German philosopher, in an essay he wrote in 1784, very short, again, titled, What is Enlightenment? Answers, and I read Enlightenment is man's emergence from his self-imposed immaturity. Immaturity is the inability to use one's understanding, pay attention, Without guidance from another, this immaturity is self-imposed when it is when its cause lies not in the lack of understanding, but in lack of resolve and courage to use it without the guidance from another. Sapere aude, have the courage to use your understanding, which he took from Horace dare to know. He says, Kant says, this is the motto of enlightenment. Now, the enlightenment philosophers began a movement that gradually moved the human being away from God and any other form of moral authority until it resided exclusively in the human being. You will remember that Kant even said, if you are taking your moral law from any other person except yourself, you are not free, including God. I think the problem, in my estimation, is the mentality of dominating nature and other human beings that has flourished in Europe since the 16th century. It is not surprising that the pillage of nature by European Christians started with the anthropological turn in philosophy and the Enlightenment, especially and especially after the German philosopher Ludwig Feuerbach had theoretically dethroned God and in his place enthroned the human being as lord of everything. And he had caricatured religion while promoting idolatry because man's worship of himself is idolatry. And every other form of idolatry is man's worship of himself because he worships what he created. In place of theology, he established just only anthropology. And from that time, our problem began. I have to conclude I think rather than being the cause of the problem, Christianity or Judeo Christian theologies, anthropologies, and cosmologies have the potential of offering solutions to the crisis. Because if we examine carefully even what Christianity teaches us about the world that is not even our final destination. The man who encouraged you not to acquire and stock up things for yourself here on earth cannot be responsible for the damage you are doing to the universe. It is the distortion of Christianity for the sake of granting to human beings the power to dominate others. That is the source of the problem. And the solution must be sought in an interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary way, but with religious morality at the center. Because this answer to the ecological problem cannot just be scientific. It has to be multidimensional and ethical religious. Globalization, yes, has become only the globalization of goods and the market for those goods. But let us for a moment see globalization as a globalization of values, especially moral values. Then we will see that it is really something positive that could help other human beings. Since I don't want the MC to bring me the note he has written, I will end with a story. Of course, you know the church, the magisterial documents, teachings of the church on this issue are so many. Over 150 years, the church has been teaching on this. And the most recent ones from John Paul II, from Pope Benedict, and now recently from Pope Francis. There's a constant teaching by the church, please don't destroy this universe because we are all part and parcel of the system. Before I tell you the story, I will tell you why I read the letter from the Romans to the Romans. The salvation of the universe can only come through the salvation of the human being. Because you note that after Adam sinned, Eve was cursed, the serpent was cursed, but Adam was not cursed. The earth was cursed because of Adam. So it is the conversion of Adam and his descendants through the second Adam that will redeem the world, the earth, this universe. And Paul says it: the whole universe is growing, waiting to be groaning, waiting to be uh, redeemed, and that will happen through the redemption of the children of Adam. But we better work hard at it. Because the basic, typical Nigerian feels the ecological problem is not his problem. Walk through the streets, if I can call those things now that you have at UNN streets, those tattered and broken roads. Walk through, since after the rain of two days ago, you see how much dirt has been thrown up from our private homes into the onto the streets, we are in a total mess. This story, since I assume, even though some of those following us are not Igbo speaking, the story is in Igbo, and I will tell it in Igbo. Many of you are familiar with it because I've used it for philosophical reflection in other publications. No or osa nonenwa hunko na taako ne me important onwera bo ane no no okuru hunko arahora osa na me akpote ogweniu nu se osa bi anwa takriya mechina to nu ni getinya ina nsugu si ya kedin ke saragana na anom nenu nu eba ga wanona ane icho ne me gaeri en ni opa ni ri juga fo me ri jara awara onwere mpotede na eba anwa sofu buri ibu ti onnu lo oku a sia o sa i haa bo anana na ekwu obo ezi oku emechinata onnu na nsogu onye ekporo na nka amebo ati ye na onnu lo oku na agbasahoge mani ye na gwa onnu guna even de menen eba anwere ka osi metutu nu na na Osa na ta kweni me poto Ote aka dinta gafer non poto osa ne me we ni inu egbe tam osa ne da da na okporo dinta je bute osa fu ebe abua na no mi puta piam bu osa odi one Odione. agwa Onesia ya na obera akpa oji oketinye ma nduru ma funa akpa hepekazimpe wefu mpote de na eba weberi ewekechi eosa nabua otoa kam poto osa religion has the capacity of acting they Abuane and mpotete in this dispute. But we'll also listen. Thank you very much.